this is just in from someone who has frequented the um, the festival on the lawn. There is a school set up. Wild eh? I'm going to put that in there in the podcast. It's like a human petri dish. This is how societies form, ladies and gentlemen. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget when my eyebrow goes up. The police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We've tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Sip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Hello and welcome back to another week on the Iron Duke podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I am Maddie Burgess-Smith and with me is Senior Consultant Byron Terrace. Hello, it's great to be back for yet another week on this absolutely disastrous podcast that is the Iron Duke <laughs> uh, podcast. This week we've got a festival on the lawn, we've got an omnibus discussion about all the good things that Parliament is spitting out and that's not just hot air. We're also going to have a chat about Omicron Step 2 Phase Red uh, Blue as well, that's going to be a really interesting one. And you are going to talk about the Salvation Army's report. Yeah, well I might start with that. So uh, the Salvation Army's State of the Nation report has always been a big fixture in the political calendar. Previously, it's been kind of hosted and presented in the Grand Hall at Parliament. The Prime Minister has already sp- always spoken on it. The reason being is that um, that report has 25 key indicators and is often kind of the biggest proxy that we have for understanding child poverty in New Zealand. Uh, what it's found is that of their 25 indicators, 17 of them are moving backwards. The biggest one, the one that they held the greatest concern about, was housing. The number of people in emergency housing, which is usually a motel or a campsite, now sits at over 10,000 people, including over 4,500 children. That means that nearly half of those in emergency housing are children. This is not a good, safe environment for those children and whanau. So if you listen to our podcast last week, which I would advise you to if you want to understand a little bit more around social housing. Good plug. There are now 25,000 people who are on the social housing wait list. Now it's important to know, as Vic said last week, that does not include children. It found that despite benefits having risen increasingly under this government, they just have not kept up with the cost of living, and more so they have not kept up with the cost of housing. What they've also found is that people are not moving along the housing continuum. So the people who are in those emergency housing facilities who are supposed to be there for no longer than 12 weeks are now making those places into permanent residence because there is nowhere for them to move into. In the same way that we just don't have rental accommodation becoming available because people can't afford to be getting into their first house. Now they went ahead and they labelled this as a housing catastrophe. They said that you know housing crisis had has been overused, the government and the public are becoming desensitised to talking about the housing crisis. So we need a new brand for the housing crisis. We've rebranded to a catastrophe, Um, but the, the big part of what it found was just how many New Zealanders were living on the edge of poverty prior to to the pandemic and when you go through some of their numbers of which I did you know the average New Zealander by the time that they've made all their money for the year and spent all the money that they needed to they've got on average four hundred and twelve dollars that is the average New Zealander so that's just cash 
That's what, that is savings. Wow. The, the national savings account is worth $700 million, which is next to absolutely nothing. That's how much cash people have stashed away for a rainy day. And we're talking across 5 million people. So given, given those numbers, there are obviously a lot of people, and we know this about beneficiaries, right? The best way and fastest way to get money into an economy is to give it to beneficiaries because they spend 110% of their income. So the levels of debt in New Zealand are increasingly rising. Um, the child poverty in, indicator there, they found there were another 21,000 children who had fallen below the poverty line. So that's an extra, that's on extra. top. So there are now, by num- my numbers, one in five children in New Zealand living below the poverty line. So a really harrowing report. We're yet to hear the government's response to this. Again, they've got their own child poverty indicators, but the independent one from the Salvation Army who work on the ground, who are a community housing provider, are saying New Zealand is a worse place for those living at the margins. And I'm looking forward to what the government's response is to that statement. This is the benchmark for social policy in New Zealand. Yeah, That's it is. what this report is. And so in any other sector, this kind of independence in a report would be a huge red flag, mm. a huge blowing up fire in the distance to say to the government, right, you need to take note of this. Yeah. What's your pit of the week? Can't be much worse than that. Well, if you're the Parliament lawn, it is far mm. worse uh, than that. So one thing that I've really become worried about is the the commentary on both sides and inflammatory language about the festival on the lawn, the parliamentary dock camping ground mm. that is the Freedom Convoy protest. It's causing major disruption. There are over 450 vehicles that are parked on Molesworth Street, Bunny Street, in and around that precinct, and there has been some quite threatening behaviour to locals. That is awful. That is terrible. Do not condone any of that behaviour. They're not moving. The police have tried to move them on. The police have said, hey, you should probably park your vehicles in this, you know. Pretty empty threats. Non-suspicious car park we've got over here, um, and we totally won't, like, take your stuff while you're gone. Uh, So that's all happening. It's a remarkable protest in the sense that it's against vaccines. It's against mandates. It's also against three waters. It's also against 1080. It's also just generally against the concept of government. And if you've seen much of the footage, there's a there's a mixture of kind of far right activists. There's a mixture of uh, there's a big Maori presence down there. There's a big kind of we don't like the government hippies, farmers, you name it. You name it. Also, people that just want to hang out there. Exactly. They're just saying this is the best thing that's ever happened in their life. Important that we reiterate the purpose of the protest is supposed to be anti-mandate. Anti-vaccine mandates, right? But the the big but on this is for people listening, let's try and understand what this protest is. Let's try and think about who's there. These people are relatively uneducated compared to the rest of the population. They're relatively on the lower socioeconomic um, scale. They are angry. They have got feelings that they want to express because essentially they see vaccine mandates as a form of economic sanction against them. You lose your job because you didn't make this choice. Which is accurate. They don't read the same media or follow the same media that you do unquestioningly. They may have been fed, as anyone is, some stuff on Facebook or from friends or peers that has brought them to a conclusion that they don't want to get vaccinated or get their kids vaccinated. And now their 13-year-old can't go to dance and can't compete in the sprint championships. Now, you don't have to be at the extreme end of things to get upset about that. That's how they're feeling. And so these these people do not understand that protests in this country are booked in, you notify the council, you say we're going to do this at this time so we don't disrupt anybody. You've got a health and safety warden. Yeah, exactly. You've got a cop walking down with you to say, oh, you know, make sure you go this way and they kind of legitimise it. They don't understand that. 
their feelings have overridden any kind of sense of that. And they don't see protest as some organised, play nicely thing that you do. They see it as we're angry, we're turning up to Parliament, and now we're here until you give us what we want. And so there have been lots of commentary, especially amongst the Twitterati and Reddit users around, um, oh, these people don't know how to protest in New Zealand. And I think that is a seriously worrying and elitist view of what protest is. And to make matters worse in the commentariat, how quickly New Zealanders have been to go straight to the use of overwhelming state violence against human beings. And that worries me. What do I think is going to happen to the protest? I think it's probably going to be there for a few more weeks and it will peter out. And unfortunately, someone's going to have to do some really hard chatting to them. And who that is, I don't know. There's, um, there's calls for the rise of the Grey Knight, um, Winston Peters. Interesting to watch what's happening in Canada. Now, over there, that protest has been going on for a month. Justin Trudeau has called to remove like the insurance on all these vehicles so that they're now illegal to drive them, so that they can just immediately be impounded. Mm-hmm. Seizing crowd funding sites, he's yep. just shutting them down and like yep. slapping terrorism legislation on top of it. He's enacted legislation that has only been used three times during war, the First yeah. World War and Second World War. And then, again, during a major cyclone. That's what the kind of level of emergency is over there. I hope we don't change our protest laws just so the government can justify the use of state violence against well, human beings. Don't condone all the activity that's going on there, but hey, yep. now we, I hope you understand about a little bit Come down from on. your ivory tower and have a look. Yeah, exactly. Maddie. What's something that is great that's going on? Super easy. It's been a great week on the books of parliaments. We have seen the end of gay conversion therapy. I just wanted to do a quick parliamentary roundup for people who don't know what's making its way through there at the moment. We're also cracking down on crappy property managers, of which, to be honest, most of them are. You heard it here first. We're also putting in stronger legislation in and around sunscreens. There's a review happening in the harmful digital communication space around intimate visual image recording and sending. You know what I'm talking about, Byron? Oh, Snapchat. Nice. (laughs) And we're also doing some really creative stuff in the firearm space. So whilst it might be chaos on the parliamentary lawn inside of Parliament at the moment, there are some fantastic bills for the good of New Zealand making their way through. That's my quick and easy peak of the week. What's yours? Wow, that was like a parliamentary omnibus. Yeah. That's that's great. How good's democracy, though? This is just just my reading. Um, Throwing back to me, my peak is... I'm the main character. Exactly. <laughs> My peak is Omicron response, traffic light red, step two. Yeah. Yeah. You got it? Yeah, yeah. cool. It's, it's really easy to understand. Come on. Uh, and the changes that this has made to self-isolation for COVID cases and household contacts. Oh. Uh, in other words, and this may come as a shock to many people, we're starting to move to an environment where we ensure that economic activity and businesses can carry on working through the use of rapid antigen tests, shorter home isolation periods for people that are either household contacts, close Mm. contacts, or have the virus itself, and to a far greater use of self-managed COVID cases. Mm. So I've got a app, a form that I fill out, you know, how are you feeling? And the Ministry of Health and the DHB teams, public health teams, only get in touch with you if you are on the high risk scale. And the the reason being is that- You'd be high risk. A high, high risk of what? A peanut allergy? You've no. You've got hay fever. Oh, no, no, no. That, sne- sneezing <laughs> is not a symptom. Um, it's a symptom in this office, but that's okay. So step two also includes a reduction of self-isolation time for those of us who are travelling overseas at some point this year. It goes down from 10 days self-isolation to seven, mm-hmm. and the rules around that essentially are on arrival to New Zealand, welcome, hello, um, hi, mai. Good to have you. Good to have you back. Uh, here's three rapid antigen tests. 
go home directly. Stay home. Stay home. One, for, two, three. For a week. One, two. The third one is in case of a um, uh, um, um, uh, you break it. Uh, yeah, snap up. You know, you, just, you snap the <laughs> it's swab like a up. Pre- you know, pregnancy test. Yeah, you snap the swab up your nose and <laughs> oh, oh no, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what an it's image! Awful. What an image that is. Um, yeah, the third one is for a false positive or an inconclusive result, so you can, you can go again, basically. And just by the way, it's those, like the spare tire. Yeah, the spare test, the spare rat, the rat catches. So if you're coming back from overseas and you're self isolating, you can you can form like a bubble with your parents or your mates or whatever. And they just go about their lives as normal. Yes, it's ridiculous. So you just hang out at home. So you've got to reduce, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the little, you know, inverted commas here, you know. You've got to reduce contact with them. It's but really it's like, funny. come on, you've just come back from overseas. It's so funny because you look at the modelling and you're like, how does it get so out of hand so fast? And then you hear of rules like that. Oh, yeah. It's a high trust model. Um, and the the media has done a good job at saying that it's a high trust model. New Zealand has got to be trusted. We're moving into a more mature phase. I don't trust New Zealand, and that's oh, that's a shame. Um, and <laughs> um, and that's step two. And I'm I'm looking forward. The critical workforce, you know, they they are exempt from a bunch of the uh, isolation requirements yep. as long as they produce a rapid antigen test, um, a self swab or a self spit or a self throat um, swab, and. Then off they go. And look, the exciting part is also that um, Uncle Grant has said, get your asses back to work as well. He said throughout all of this, continue your lives as normal. Get out there, spend money, shop, eat, drink, have fun, see the people you love. And on that note, we flick to our guest of the week. Today we're joined by Greg Harford, the Chief Executive of Retail New Zealand. Great to have you on the podcast today, Greg. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. And a little bit of background about you. I had a quick look at your LinkedIn there. You spent a wee bit of time at Post, a little bit of time at MCH. And I also discovered that you helped New Zealand go from an analogue TV service to a digital TV service. That's quite interesting. Yeah, it was a really interesting project a few years ago now. I led the migration to digital television and the, and the switch off of the old analogue service that the older listeners here might remember. <laughs> Brilliant. So tell me a bit about Retail New Zealand and your role. Yeah, so, so I'm the Chief Executive of Retail NZ. We're the peak body for the retail sector. Our membership's very diverse, ranges from small corner stores right through to both national and international chains that are operating here in New Zealand. Our members account for about two-thirds of retail sector turnover, so we've got a pretty good pulse on, yep. on what's going on. We do a few things for them. We speak up. We're the voice of the retail sector to government. We have an advice service, so we help our members out, particularly through dealing with HR issues yep. And, yep. And, and so forth. We've got a range of member discounts available, and we provide news, insight, and intelligence about what's going on in the retail market. So speaking of insights and intel, what's going on retail at the moment? We're bombarded constantly in the news with a kind of disaster that's going out there under traffic light red. So give us a flavour for what's happening in the retail sector at the moment. Yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty grim out there, to be honest with you. We've obviously had a, nearly two years of COVID emergencies. We've had lockdowns. We've come out of lockdowns. It's been a bit of a yo-yo yep. in spending. Uh, we've seen um, you know businesses really struggling to make it through the last couple of years. And they've, they've managed to do that uh, pretty much on the back of the wage subsidy and the resurgent support payments that government's put in place. Um, we moved to red, uh, the red traffic light setting um, nearly a month ago now, as, as you know. And for retail, in some ways, that's good news because they're allowed to continue to have their doors open to the public. There's no restrictions on, on what they can sell. So the problem is that people, customers, are really scared about going out to the shops. There are lots of people, uh, particularly in Wellington and Auckland, where you've got office workers sent off to work from home rather than coming into the cities. And that means that they're not out spending at lunchtime. They're not buying lunch. They're not doing a little bit of shopping on the side. 
Maddie, do you know anything about shopping on the side? I shop on the front. It's not on the side. I shop straight down the centre at lunch hour. So under the traffic light red, one thing I've I've certainly heard is that it's almost worse in some situations because there isn't that same government support. Mm. You mentioned the resurgence payment. You mentioned the wage subsidy. So is there any support that's still lingering or has it all gone away? There's there's very little support that's left. Um, there's there is um, some funding to help employees or help pay for the wages of employees who need to isolate. Um, that is still available, but there is no broader support available from government to help those businesses that have just got no customers and have got no foot traffic and have got no business coming through the doors. And it really is dire out there. You know, 59% of our members are telling us this week they may not survive the next 12 months or they're not confident that they'll survive. That's a huge number of businesses and potentially a huge number of employees who are affected. We're calling on government to reintroduce the wage subsidy and bring back the resurgence support payment because it is actually the thing that has stopped businesses from tipping over the edge over the last two years and we need that back in place to help support retail. 59%, that's massive. What else have you seen in terms of support around businesses that have had to pivot digitally? How are people doing business differently in light of this new COVID world? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we've certainly seen a really big swing towards online trading in the retail space that really began in earnest with the original move to, to level three. At that point, we saw the volume of online sales pretty much double and I think it's pretty much stayed at that level ever since then. We're not going back to where we were. So we've seen lots of businesses that might not have had a digital presence previously set up a website or set up some sort of way of trading online. There's different things you can do with social media or or a website. Just engaging Um, in e-commerce more broadly. Yeah, but but we've definitely seen a big jump up in engagement in that space. That's key, obviously, to helping those businesses make it through. The challenge, of course, is that online shopping tends to be a lot more transactional and shopping ultimately is a social pastime. It's something we oh, love to yes. do with our friends and family. We like yep. to get out, we like to go to the shops, see what's about, pick up a few things. And of course, that all becomes much harder online. So you, is this move to online coupled with people staying at home, coupled with 59% of businesses saying that they're going to struggle this year, is that having an effect on cities, CBDs, vibrancy of our communities? Retail, uh, along with hospitality, are the, the beating heart of, of communities and we need thriving and vibrant high streets in order to have great places to live, essentially. But what we've seen, I think, is you know Auckland and Wellington in particular, but also some other centres, becoming almost ghost towns. And you couple that with other things that are going Going on here in Wellington, for example, let's get Wellington moving, and that's going to gut the town further. Businesses are not committing to long-term leases because they are really worried about the disruption that's going to cause, and the fact that it's going to drive customers away and out mm. to suburban oh, well, shopping malls. There's nowhere for them to park. It's that simple. I guess I've got a couple of questions around what does the future of retail look like, and I'm asking this question as we see Amazon arrive on our shores. You know, these giant big multinationals that just outstrip us competitively in terms of price, and they can get here pretty quick. What do those operators mean for retail? Retailers in New Zealand. Have have been facing down the threat of international competition ever since the internet really came Mm. on stream 20 odd years ago now. They're used to competing. What we've seen over the last 10-15 10-15 years has been retailers really responding to the threat of those online businesses. Prices, uh, despite the fact that there's been huge pressure on costs over a long period of time, prices really haven't moved in the market until now. A lot of that is to do with the threat of online competition. Yep. We've seen sales periods like Black Friday and Singles mm-hmm. Day creep into the market, not for any reason other than the fact that Kiwi customers are seeing the deals being advertised online and yeah. Kiwi retailers yeah. have, have had to compete. Black Friday is insane. Yeah. What is that? And, 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 and it's come from, from nowhere. It's you know, important. Eight, eight or nine years ago, I don't think I'd ever heard of Black Friday, yet no. all of a sudden it's, it's the biggest shopping day in the calendar yep. almost here in New Zealand. 
from a consumer's perspective, that's awesome. Obviously, from a business point of view, it puts extra pressure on and means that people have got to be nimble. And the problem, I guess, with businesses like Amazon as they come into the market is just that their scale is mm. so enormous Massive. that they've got great supply of products. And that is going to make it hard for businesses to continue to compete. But I think they will be looking to sharpen up their act. They'll be looking to put in place same-day delivery, really improve their supply chains to take account of that. And we will undoubtedly see more online shopping as the years mm. go by. How do we ensure the vibrancy of the high street sticks around? Is it a big plan? Is it let it happen? Is it a few leaders trying to pave the way? In your view, what is the best way to go about that? And what is retail's role yeah. in all of that? Retailers ultimately there to service customers. And yep. retailers will be in the places that customers want to go. And the things that are driving customer shopping habits are things like the convenience and ease of getting there, the convenience and ease of finding car parks, uh, the cost of that parking, whether uh, you've got everything in, in one place. There is a potentially good future for retail in CBDs, but you're not going to achieve that, I think, with great sort of grand Soviet-style plans about mm. how things should look. There, there's a real risk, I think, that sometimes that decision makers and councils get very excited about sort of utopian visions of how things might look. Designers will draw up these pictures of beautiful streets with no traffic in them. But the reality is, and I think Wellington is a really good example, if you look at that city, the reality is most people don't shop in the central city Now, if you're a family living in the suburbs of Wellington, you're far more likely to drive out to Queensgate or Porirua, where parking is free and easy to get. The reality is we're going to make it easy for customers to actually be listening to their voices, and and, and that's that's really the thing that retailers are doing all the time. The risk, I think, for town centres is that if retail is all pushed out of towns and into those suburban shopping malls, we will lose the vibrancy of the high street. And as I think forward to my utopia, which looks somewhat like 2019. I spend a lot of time in this utopia, by the way. It's somewhat like 2019 when we had internationals and students, tourists coming. They want that vibrancy. They want that spot to be able to get off their cruise ship or get off their plane. 100%. Come to a city that's vibrant. You've got places to shop. You've got places to eat and drink and have a great time. I'm really worried if we lose that. What are we going to show to the, the people coming to New Zealand in the future when they do become? I, I, th- I think that's a real risk. You know, it's, it's going to be relatively easy for retail and hospital businesses to tip over the edge yeah. in the coming months. It's going to be much harder for those businesses to come back. And I think, you know, we've all visited towns uh, around New Zealand or, or around the world where actually the CBD has disappeared. It's mm. withered and died. And you're left either with empty shops or a succession of temporary shops and $2 yep. shops and that sort of thing, yeah. which, which absolutely have their place in the retail environment. Mm. But you know, I think if you really want to have a compelling offering to tourists and visitors and, and to be presenting yourself as an international city or an international destination, you need that thriving centre to really keep things going. We're about to see a massive gaping hole in the centre of Lambton Quay, that is David Jones. I'm really worried about the bottom of Queen Street and Commercial Bay in Auckland. There are a lot of massive retailers who have taken a risk on New Zealand and, and New Zealanders need to take a risk on them and get out and shop. Absolutely. The, the David Jones withdrawal from, from Wellington should be a real wake-up call yeah. to, to everyone that actually retailers aren't going to be here just because they can be. They will only be here if they are really supported by, by customers and that means having stores in the right place and having customers be able to get to them easily. Awesome. Hey, Greg, thank you so much for that conversation and very valuable takeaways just for listeners alone. As is usual on the podcast, we're going to finish off with a quick hot or not. Now, how this works is we will give you a topical scenario from the last seven days. If you like it, say hot. If you don't, say not. Byron, take it away. Cruise ships are definitely hot. Yes. Omicron traffic light red, step two. Not. (laughs) And last one, self-isolation for Kiwis returning from Australia. Really hot and really overdue. Brilliant.
I've got hot cross buns for sale in February. Are they? They are. Good God. Of course they are, and they're hot because customers like them. Exactly. Day nine of uh, Rhythm in Parliament. Not. And lastly, New Zealand single-handedly ending the Russia and Ukraine crisis. That would be awesome if it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant, Greg. Thanks so much for your time. This has been delightful, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the future. Thanks for having me. Well, listeners, you heard it here first. Get out there, get shopping. Next episode, we're going to chat all things energy, but until then... We'll We'll see see you next week. week.